Strike Force Energy, veteran owned, American made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Strike Force Energy was developed by veterans for one simple reason the fight will always follow you and it waits for no one. Buck Sexton here for Strike Force, and I invite you this summer to join us in giving back to America's troops. Over the last three years, Strike Force Energy has shipped millions of packets to our troops, both at home and abroad, and now we're bringing this battlefield proven liquid directly to your door. Strike Force Energy liquid packs available in four flavors have zero sugar, zero calories, and are made with only the finest ingredients. For the fuel to power through your toughest fight, simply add Strike Force to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice cold beer. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout, and for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK, because Strike Force Energy is the fuel for the fight. You are entering the Freedom Hut. Donald Trump enters a NATO summit with a mic drop moment, decides to let some of our European allies know no more free rides, mon frere. No more deciding that somebody else is going to pay the bills for your defense. Time to step up. Plus, the anti-Kavanaugh resistance is increasingly unhinged. We'll hit that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I think that two world wars under Cold War thought will start, uh, we are stronger together than apart. Um, but how can you be together when a country is getting its energy from the person you want protection against or from the group that you want protection Because you understand that uh, when we stand together also when uh, dealing with Russia, we are stronger. I think what we have seen is that... No, you're just making Russia richer. Well, you're not dealing with Russia, you're making Russia richer. So we're supposed to protect Germany, but they're getting their energy from Russia. Explain that. Germany is totally controlled by Russia. Because they will be getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO. And I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. On top of that, Germany is just paying a little bit over 1 percent, whereas the United States in actual numbers is paying 4.2 percent. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Donald Trump coming out swinging at this uh, NATO summit. And I got to tell you, I think it's about time. Why not have a heart-to-heart? Why not have an honest, no-frills conversation with our European allies? They can handle it, right? These are developed countries. They've got serious militaries. They've got serious economies. Remember, the EU in its uh, totality, has a bigger economy than the United States. So why do they look to us for their collective defense? Why is this just an article of faith in the international relations smart set? Well, Trump is asking these questions, and i got to tell you, it is is one of these days where where you see some people are willing to ask why, other people just want to sound smart. 
They just want to say what they're told to say. They just want to be with the cool kids in the cafeteria. And with, with NATO, we, we have a situation where everyone agrees the Europeans are, in defense terms, being something of freeloaders. And if nothing else, why do we have NATO? I ask that question in all seriousness. The Soviet Union no longer exists. The Warsaw Pact is not our concern. NATO's raison d'etre, the reason for NATO's existence, no longer exists. Unless somebody really and truly believes that Russia is going to invade a sovereign European nation anytime soon, uh, there's no real explanation for what NATO is going to do. We can still have multilateral and bilateral defense treaties with any countries we want. And when you really get down to it, I'm trying to be a little contrarian, a little provocative, because Trump's out there. And so that means that you get the hysterical reaction from liberals. That, oh, he's going to destroy the, He's going to destroy NATO. What's going to happen here? Oh, oh here we go. Christian Amanpour thinks it's unprecedented. Play 10. It is unprecedented. It violates every norm of an alliance. Every norm. Specifically, every norm. I'm talking about the word captive and controlled by when he refers to Germany and Angela Merkel being controlled by Vladimir Putin and Russia. It is unprecedented language. It is a real threat to the alliance. It is a threat to the alliance. Why? Why is it a threat? To the, how is it a threat to the alliance? No one's saying the alliance is going anywhere. But can we think about this? Can we have a discussion about what the future of U.S.-European military cooperation should be? People keep saying this. They say, oh, you know, he's, do- he's doing Putin's bidding. And I say, hold on a second. Not only is that unfair and skipping way down the line and acting, no one's saying we're abandoning our European allies. No one's saying we're breaking alliances with, with these countries. We don't want to work with them anymore. We have deep bonds with our European partners, particularly the U.K., but other countries, too. You know, the French are okay. Uh, a bunch of those European countries are nice. Nice places to visit. But I also have to ask you, you know, really think about this. Would you want, if if, Trump, if, if there was a, an incident involving Russian uh, Mazkarovka, which is, you know, warfare via concealment, right? Trying to do some kind of, uh, they would create some disturbance, and then Russian paramilitaries are all of a sudden, in, you know, in a country like Latvia. I'm not saying we would abandon, I'm not saying we wouldn't put sanctions on Russia, we wouldn't do things, but would you really, would you want your son or daughter to, you know, get get paradropped? I know we don't really do that anymore, but, you know, get get dropped off by a C-130 next door, and now we're we're going to be fighting these Russian paramilitaries in, in Latvia on, on behalf of the Latvians? Um, I, I, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying, can we think about this a little bit? Can we think beyond just... The, the screeds and the hysteria, because what you see is anything that Trump is involved in, people don't want to have a rational conversation. They don't want to have a reasonable discussion. NATO somehow becomes, oh, this is terrible. Uh, look, this is, at the end of the day, and I'll be honest with you, not a lot of people will, I'll be honest with you, the NATO conversation is just, nothing's going to change. It's just not really that interesting. What's interesting is the reaction to Trump being there and, and Trump being Trump. But in terms of the, the policy shifts, what's really going to come from this? You know, they just, they're so dishonest. You know, they skip over this all the time. Putin 
for example, they say is so close with Trump, and I know there's this meeting coming up, and everyone's saying, oh, what are they going to say to each other? The Trump administration has been willing to arm Ukrainian military with lethal weapons. The Obama administration refused. Those weapons, including uh, sniper rifles that we've been giving and and anti-tank missiles, Javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian National Army to fight against Russian-backed and Russian uh, irregular separatists in Ukraine, Obama's team wouldn't do that. They backed off of that. You have sanctions in place on Russia still. You have the administration very clear that Russian aggression and bellicose behavior is unacceptable. But there is this uh, still this this ma- this mass hysteria over Putin and Trump, Putin and Trump. They're they're best friends. I mean, does anybody really think for a second that Trump wouldn't turn on Putin on let's even assume they were friends Trump wouldn't turn on Putin on a dime if he felt the least bit disrespected by him you you, you think Trump plays second fiddle to Putin at all in his mind or would even would even consider such a thing no I think what you had before with the Obama administration was eight years of a president who looked acted and sounded weak on foreign policy matters and who Putin thought he could take to the cleaners and on foreign policy, did just that, right? That he could just, you know, just school them, just school the Obama administration, take what they want, get away with a lot of stuff. You'll notice that the sanctions they put on Obama didn't come until really, uh, I mean, the, 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 the latest round of sanctions, they say it was for election interference, but it didn't happen until very late in the administration. And the stuff that they did about Georgia and about... Uh, uh, the Crimea didn't have any effect on Russian foreign policy. What the Russians accomplished in Syria because Obama was too busy appeasing the Iranians. You know, I, I mean, that's not discussed nearly enough. I'm actually reading, uh, almost finished with a book right now, which I will very, I very much recommend all of you. It's called Red Notice. Now, Red Notice is a what they call an international arrest warrant in Interpol. So when a red notice is out on you, it means that Interpol, the international police agency, has been notified that you are to be arrested and you are to be uh, you are to be transferred, right, extradited to a specific country. Uh, Browder, who wrote the book Red Notice, it talks about what it's like doing business in Russia and then leads you through the story of the Magnitsky Act for Sergei Magnitsky, who was a mild mannered. Uh, patriotic Russian, by the way, really believed in the Russian state, believed in the Russian law, a mild-mannered tax attorney who got on the wrong side of the Kremlin and some of the oligarchs because of a massive fraud that Browder helped expose through his business dealings. And then Magnitsky was held in the worst and most sort of inhumane Russian prison conditions. He had all kinds of infections and was losing weight. They would they they intentionally denied him medical treatment. He was in horrific suffering. And then when they finally transferred, I mean, this is the Russian way of doing things. I have no illusions about Russia, right? The Russian government is bad and does bad things. They're thugs, but they're thugs with a lot of nukes. We can't just, you know, kick them around and treat them like they're a bunch of punks. You know, we got to let them know that, yeah, we've got, you know, we, we can hit back too, but we can't just get into with them every time we see them, right? 
But I have no illusions about the Russian state. Neither does Trump. Neither does Pompeo. Back to Magnitsky for a moment here. This was uh, about a decade or so ago. Actually, no, less than that now. Um, Well, I think it was 2000 and it was during the Obama administration. I'm forgetting the specific year. But so Magnitsky, this lawyer, is in Russian custody. They deny him medical treatment. And then finally, when they're going to give him medical treatment, and all the while, you, you've got these press stories, the journalists are saying that Magnitsky's being held, he's being held uh, uh, in, in illegal detention. They In Russia, by the way, they can hold you for a year without charging you. Think about that. Next time you think that the uh, U.S. system is not that great, just remember, it's, it's the best of very bad systems. Uh, but then they finally were going to give him medical treatment, and instead they sent a bunch of riot police into his uh, cell and beat him to death with batons after he had been writhing in pain for months because of untreated, he had uh, kidney stones, I mean, just terrible stuff. Uh, and the Russians were trying, this is what the Russians do, they try to make examples of people, it's why they put, you know, polonium in people's sushi or whatever, I mean, whatever that radio radioactive uh, isotope was that they poisoned Litvinenko was. So, and, and, and now Novichok, right, the, the uh, nerve agent that is, has greatly sickened a number of people, including a an enemy of the Russian state. So I have no illusions about how bad the Russians are. Also, from my time in the CIA, trust me, I am very aware, a lot of the top people in the agency, because of the Cold War, because the main adversary was the Soviet Union, had very uh, colorful thoughts about the Russians, about the KGB, then the FSB. Uh, and, and yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of viciousness and a lot of thuggery that is part of the the enterprise of the state in Russia. But there's one part of all of that, and you know, as you sit here talking about NATO, one part of the, in, in this book that comes out I think is so interesting, it doesn't get nearly enough attention, it's that Obama didn't want to push the Magnitsky Act. John Kerry didn't want to push the Magnitsky Act. They didn't want to ruffle feathers. Obama wanted the Russian reset. Obama wanted to placate the Russians. Obama was caught on the hot mic saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, I will I'll have more flexibility at the next election. And then, you know, uh, Medvedev was like, you will transmit this to Vladimir. Remember all that? I mean, we you've had nothing with Trump that's in the same universe of appeasement like that. You know, once I basically what Obama said was once I fool the American people one more time into thinking that, you know, I'll, I'll do something that I won't do with you guys, Th- then, then you know, we can actually really talk. Hillary Clinton with the stupid reset button. Obama, then Kerry. They didn't even want to push the Magnitsky Act after Sergei Magnitsky rotted and then was murdered in a prison cell. International news story. A lot of people knew about it. They didn't really care because they thought they had more important, better things to focus on and to do. John Kerry tried to stop the Magnitsky Act. Barack Obama, his administration, tried to stop the Magnitsky Act. They were soft on Russia because they were soft on everybody because their foreign policy was weak. So I don't need all the former Obama types, uh, all the former Obama officials to lecture us on foreign policy. And I also don't need the Bush people. Thanks for the wars that, you know, never end, Bush folks. I don't really need them either to be telling all the rest of us how this needs to go. I'm going to get more into the specifics of NATO here in just a moment, and you'll probably hear me talk more about Red Notice another time. Excellent book, though. Highly, highly recommend, and uh, I think you'll all be very glad if you pick up a copy and check it out. 
for yourself. 844-900-2825. Uh, we'll talk more about this whole NATO kerfuffle coming up. There's no question that he was beating up on, on Jens Stoltenberg in a deliberate way. He was playing to the camera and he knew what he was doing. And I can only think that he was setting on a trajectory that we're going to see throughout this meeting in Brussels. And it's only going to you know, further sour his welcome in the UK for the next leg of his trip. So I think he is determined to blow up an alliance that has that America created, as you have pointed out there at the creation uh we we are now witnessing what could be the destruction just call a spade a spade the president says it's unfair to the u.s and to the taxpayers but nato's budget is determined on the size of each individual economy that's why the u.s spends more the u.s wants to spend more of domestic gdp on its own military europe thought that europe was safe after the collapse of the soviet union it was after Russia changed the rules of the game that they realized they had to spend more. And Jens Stoltenberg told President Trump that that's exactly what they've been doing. So uh, not that it matters, I guess, to CNN, but uh, Amanpour is wrong there. The the, the budget is is uh, is by percentage of of GDP. So you know, each state there has to is supposed to meet the two percent of their gross domestic product. Uh, and the NATO estimate is that about. 15 members, a little over half of the 29 total members. Remember, we got Montenegro in there. Ho! Uh, we'll actually meet that. But it's more than just the money. The money is important. It's about the mentality. The mentality being that these Russian, I mean, these uh, European states have this idea that they get to spend all this stuff on their social welfare programs, and then they get to kind of thumb their noses at America, knowing that, we are the big benevolent brother across the ocean that'll come save their butts when need be. Because we've done it before. A couple of times, actually. Uh, and by the way, a Andrea Mitchell's comment about blowing up the alliance. Does anybody want to place a bet about whether there'll be any significant change to the NATO alliance because of what Trump is doing right now? I, I, would, I would place a large bet if I could. The only change is that We've already gotten a change, which is that NATO has pledged because of the tough talk from Trump. NATO has pledged to boost their spending. Well, gee whiz, isn't that something of a of a massive surprise, right? I mean, Trump is over there. He's saying enough is enough. But you see, here's one of the reasons why Trump has the freedom of action here to actually do something. Most presidents. Really, all presidents in the post-Soviet era have advisors around them and have a media complex that is on the same sheet of music when it comes to NATO. NATO has established the greatest period of global security, and it is amazing. Trump shows up, and he, he doesn't care what people think about the consensus, the conventional wisdom. He wants to know, what are we doing, and what are we getting out of this? Is this worthwhile? Is this something we should do? It's, oddly enough for so many people, an intellectually more honest way to approach an issue like this. What's really going on with NATO? But the other part of this, too, is that the, the left, they don't really care about NATO.
Rockies holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Germany is a rich country. They talk about they're going to increase it a tiny bit by 2030. Well, they could increase it immediately tomorrow and have no problem. I don't think it's fair to the United States. So we're going to have to do something because we're not going to put up with it. We can't put up with it. And it's inappropriate. I think it's very unfair to our country. It's very unfair to our taxpayer. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period. They have to step it up immediately. It's a very small amount of money relative to what they owe and to what they should be paying. And it's an unfair burden on the United States. So we're here to talk about that, and I'm sure it will be resolved. We all agree that we have to do more. Last year was the biggest increase in defense spending across Europe and Canada in a generation. Why was that last year? It's also because of your leadership, because of your clear message. And, uh, and, uh, they won't write that. But no, I have said it before. This has gone on for decades, by the way. This has gone on for many presidents, but no other president brought it up like I bring it up. Trade, NATO ally spending, immigration. These are issues where we have been told one thing for decades. And that thing we've been told is at least partially untrue, in some cases largely untrue. Right, that, that, that we can't just have a more honest discussion about all of this is to our detriment until Trump came along. And now we can finally talk about it. You know, you see a lot of people go, oh, my gosh, he's he's being so mean. He's saying this stuff about how Germany gets. Yeah, Germany gets about 30 percent of its natural gas primarily used for heating, but gets its natural gas from Russia, from Russian pipelines. And the Russians, by the way, are, are not unwilling to uh, shut down those pipelines occasionally to kind of show people who's boss. And from what I understand, it's very cold in Dusseldorf in, like, January. So, yeah, there is a real connection there. There's Russian influence. Russia is going to have influence, particularly in former Soviet states, that is difficult for us to counter on a cultural level. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that there, there's going to have there's going to be influence. I mean, there are countries like Latvia where there are Russian large numbers of Russian speakers. And, you know, I, I think what you're seeing happening here is the, the, the final recognition. From a lot of people who've been criticizing Trump about NATO all along that he's right. Stoltenberg said it. He's like, yeah, we're spending more money because of you. Like, yeah, that's right. You guys need to spend more money. It's, it's also a question of put your money where your mouth is. Have more skin in the game. The European states spending more on their own defense makes them think differently about their foreign policy. It makes them think differently about their, uh, their expenditures across the board. And there is no reason why we should be in a position... To think that if something were to go really bad in Europe with the Russia vis-a-vis the Russians, that it would fall on us to really counter it. Germany is a industrial powerhouse, huge population, very wealthy. I know some people get a little nervous about the Germans, you know, building up their military for obvious reasons, right? History and all that. But you know, this this is the kind of conversation that can, that can actually move the needle. Uh, Senator Barroso, by the way, spoke about this issue of German energy. He's totally correct. Play seven. The president is 
unique and unconventional in his approach, but he's absolutely right in what he is saying. You know, Germany decided to get rid of all its nuclear power plants and as a result became more dependent on Russia for energy. And energy is called the master resource for a reason. It powers economies, it powers countries, it is a force multiplier, it is an instrument of power. And when Germany is more dependent on Russia for energy, that gives Russia that much more power over Germany and over the European Union as well. It is absolutely true. So the, the German decision-making, for those of you who are wondering, Black Block, the tactic that you will see, this is a little fun, this is why you listen to this show, because I know all kinds of random fun stuff. Black Block is actually Schwarze Block. It comes from Germany. Remember, this is where you have these guys, the anarchists dressed in black from head to toe, and they run around and they act like street protest paramilitaries. Uh, you know, and Antifa uses black block as a tactic now and Antifa and black block almost feel indistinguishable. Where's my Antifa call out, John? You got nothing for me? Uh, it started, though, in Germany as a protest against nuclear energy back in, I think, the 80s. So they had the left in Germany get rid of nuclear power plants. And as a result, there's a much greater reliance on the fossil fuels coming in from Russia, which means that Russian and German economic interests are more intertwined, which means, by the way, the Russians have a lot more leverage to apply to the the industrial and economic powerhouse of the EU, which is Germany. So, you know, while everyone's running around lecturing, lecturing Trump about lecturing the uh, NATO alliance, the, the truth is... You know, Europe needs to get its act together a little bit here on geopolitics and the strategy that it has to counter Russia's moves here. And that's something that, you know, you, you just don't hear this from other people. By the way, Barroso also had some good comments on Putin. Who not a, People don't sit around saying, oh, Putin's our good friend. He's our buddy. Everything's going to be fine. No. We understand what we are up against here with Putin. The thing, Putin's a thug. Putin's a thug. Yeah, we know that. What do we do about it? What do all the people chest thumping? I, I saw, um, what was it, Donna Bash. Don't call her Dana. Donna Bash uh, asking Vice President Pence earlier in the week, you know, is Russia a foe? Can you, will you call them a foe? It's like, no, lady, he's not going to call Russia a foe. The Vice President of the United States is not going to basically say, yeah, Russia's an enemy before the president is about to sit down with their president and have a conversation about U.S.-Russia relations. He's not going to do that, all right? So as, as cute as that, as that game is, by the way, she doesn't do it for clarification purposes. The reason CNN asks the VP that question is so when they won't call Russia an enemy, everyone goes, oh, my gosh, he's in Putin's pocket. Look at this. Look at that. It's so bad. Look what he's doing. It's just all a game to them. They're not even serious about NATO. The, the same, the same uh, leftists who completely recoil at the use of any U.S. military power that's actually in our interest. They, they love it. They, they love to put our guys in some third-world hellhole where we have no national security interests, but, you know, people over there, there's some kind of tribal warfare going on or something. You know, the left loves that. But they don't actually like the projection of U.S. military power as a general idea. And with NATO, they're just pretending to care about this right now because it's another opportunity to get hysterical and freak out about Trump. 
Barroso, though, on Putin, I mentioned this. I wanted is this is Senator Barroso, uh, Barroso, rather, not Barroso. Barroso on Putin. Play clip eight. And it seems like it's more than half of German energy is coming from Russia. NATO was established for the right reasons in 1949 as a deterrence against then the Soviet Union. But the same applies today with Russia. And Vladimir Putin is cunning. He's aggressive. He's opportunistic. He will use everything he can to gain an advantage. And when he has an opportunity to use energy as a geopolitical weapon to gain an advantage, he will do so. That's why I believe President Trump is absolutely right to bring the fight as he is. I agree. And by the way, this also goes to how you can thank conservatives and their capitalist approach for the single greatest weapon deployed in the last 20 years against authoritarian states from Russia to Saudi Arabia to Venezuela to Iran. Oh, baby, that's right. Fracking and the shale oil revolution in this country, which the environmentalist nutjob left and the, the Democrat progressive media apparatus opposed tooth and nail everything they had. Putin would be in a much stronger, much more aggressive place right now if we were not the hydrocarbon superpower that we've become and if the price of oil per barrel had not dropped so precipitously because of the glut in supply thanks to a bunch of uh, American oil companies and engineers and and oil workers who are using the economics of the energy industry as one of our single most important foreign policy tools. Uh, it is it is absolutely essential. Uh, and you don't hear nearly, and by the way, Obama was opposing that. He, you know, not only did the Russian reset, do you ever hear them talk about that anymore, by the way, the Russian reset? Yeah, we know Obama was bowing to everybody, but do you ever hear about the Russian reset? No, the answer is no. Not only do you hear about that, uh, but the Obama administration was opposing shale, was opposing the very kinds of oil technologies and the exploration that allowed by it that has put us in this position right now. Not only are you paying less at the pump because of it, but also foreign dictators have less cash to throw around to fund paramilitaries, to fund nuclear and missile technology research. Our economic advantage, our technological advantage is, is everything. Right? It's, it's, it's essential to our role in the world. And the left does everything they can to try and stifle that. One more thing I, I just have to note here, and it goes back to this Donna Bosch interview with uh, Pence, Vice President Pence. Think about what we really want in Russia. It's an enormous country. It spans, what, seven time zones, population over 100 million people. It's got thousands of nuclear weapons. It is, from a land and resources uh, perspective, still something of a superpower, right? From a resources perspective, not as an economy. Its, it's economy is pretty pretty weak. What do we really want? We want modernization, liberalization, and rule of law there. We want a real political opposition, and we want people to stop supporting Vladimir Putin. Putin has been very lucky. You don't hear about this from other analysts because they don't know crap. But Putin, for all of his flaws, has presided over the creation of a Russian middle class, something that did not exist before. The Russians in the 90s, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, were utterly humiliated humiliated okay you had guys with phds that were trying to sell t-shirts on the street and driving cabs literally that's what was going on 
and with Putin and then the privatization, which was there was massive theft. And that's how the oligarchs became billionaires. But with privatization, you had Russians who finally had cash in their pockets. And then over time, overall, there was more wealth in Russian society. And now you'll see Russians out, you know, if you go to any global vacation spot, you'll see Russians wearing fancy track suits, uh, track suits with, you know, very, very expensive watches. And that's just, you know, how some of them roll, right? The, the rich Russians. But we want a situation where the Russian people say, hey, you know, Putin and his guys, they're actually a bunch of corrupt jerks. That's not going to happen. We don't help the Russian opposition having the press in this country pretend that Russia is a boogeyman that hides under every bed, that the Russians are our enemies now and forever, that Russia is an enemy state. They want to talk, I mean, you know, clowns like Joe Scarborough saying that Trump is doing Putin's work here. They want to talk about doing Putin's work, convincing the American people that Russia is not an opportunity for us, that the Russian people are never going to be friends and allies of ours the way that European states are, is doing more to help Putin than anything Trump has ever imagined. And that's the truth. Like I said, you won't hear that because they just, you know, I'm, I'm really amazed. I see this. There are so many multimillionaire journalists out there who I just get the feeling haven't read a book in about 10 years. And it's just the truth. You know, paid all this money, have these platforms, don't know a damn thing. But, you know, I, I don't know. They're, you know. They're friends with Jeff Zucker or something. I don't know what to say. It's just. It's astonishing what goes on out there uh, and, and the ignorance that is on display from our press corps on these issues and, and the games they play, too. They pretend to care about NATO and U.S. national security. Meanwhile, they're doing so much to actually undermine it. It's just just incredibly frustrating. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, team, I've got uh, much more, including the, the fight against Kavanaugh. We're going to get into that in the second hour, so uh, stay right there. Man, you know, we, we have launched this uh, this network, Hill.TV, and it is wild down here, my friends. Just want to take a moment to tell you all, I really, really appreciate all the support you've been giving me. Launching a, a digital TV network is is quite an undertaking. Let me let me tell you, this is, uh, uh, you know, it, it requires a lot of long nights. I actually had my first time where I had to bust out. I've got a, a camping pillow and a, and a pad that you blow up, you know, one of those things you put on the ground when you're out camping. I had to take a nap in the office uh, because that's what it requires here. It's an all-hands-on-deck scenario. Uh, but, you know, we had Lanny Davis on earlier this week for a great interview. Got picked up by all these different outlets across the country that were talking about it. Um, obviously, we kicked it off with the Jeff Sessions interview. And I think we're really in a groove. And for those of you who are OSS, who have been listening to the Buck Sexton show for a while, uh, and if you go back to the Saturday show and, and when I was still doing The Blaze, Something fun that's going on. We've got a panel now that we're doing daily where I'm trying to get in as many of my old Blaze buddies as possible. You know, I'm really uh, pushing and doing everything that I can uh, in order to get to a place where we're having all those old Blaze names you know and love, right? Uh, we've had Lawrence Jones on, Tara Setmayer. Uh, we've been having on, you know, so many people that, 
I used to get to work with at the Blaze, and I'm telling you, we are having some of the very best political discussions, best political panels. Uh, it's so much fun, and, and I really think you should check it out. It's great, by the way. No subscription or anything. It's just hill.tv slash rising to check out the show. If you can't watch it live, don't worry. It's meant to be watched in segments whenever you want throughout the day. Uh, so thank you all, by the way, for the the support and, and the uh, the emails and the Facebook messages about it. It really means a lot. And, uh, you know, we have our launch party tonight uh, later on in D.C., which will be fun. I've never had a launch party before. Oh, a launch party. I feel like I should be wearing a, a top hat and a monocle. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I, all right, I'm going to get back into the substance here of what's going on in the country. You have this Kavanaugh opposition that is completely unhinged. It's completely out of control. And and I want to I want to take this and give you. There's some important um, conclusions that we need to draw from this. There are some important things that I want you to keep in mind as we think about just why they're so anti-Kavanaugh, why are they so completely and utterly divorced from reality, from any sense of morality? Uh, They're just, they're attacking this guy with everything they've got, and and I really do want to get into what I see uh, as the meanings, the meaning behind this, and also where all of it's going to go. So that is coming up in the second hour. Team, stay right there. Listen, do you have animals digging under your fence, pets escaping, or predators and pests coming in? Are you tired of trying bricks, wood, or concrete? Let me tell you about Dig Defense. It's genius. It extends the protection of your fence underground. Just install it at the base of any fence to protect your pet and your property. A hammer and gloves are all that is needed to install Dig Defense and stop that digging. No more chasing Fido as he runs around the backyard. Chase him around the backyard, enclosed and safe. That's the way you want to do it. Stop the dig now with Dig Defense, available online at Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. And now for the month of July, visit StopTheDig.com and use the promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's StopTheDig.com and use promo code B-U-C-K. That's promo code Buck at StopTheDig.com for 10% off your entire order. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Judge Kavanaugh, if he is a justice, would be the swing vote in deciding whether he can pardon himself. Get out of jail, free pass. Amazingly, he said the court should consider a constitutional challenge to the health care law, the Affordable Care Act, and openly criticize the Supreme Court decision to uphold the Affordable Care Act. This is about replacing the authority of government, putting the government's authority ahead of the authority of a woman to make a decision about her own body and her future. They don't have a a single line of attack against Kavanaugh. They really don't. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what they're going to say other than just, oh my gosh, he's Hitler. They got nothing. And I've realized something. I've been telling you for some time 
that I believe that liberalism has entered a phase where it is a mass delusion, that we've entered a, a realm where liberals are engaged in a, a true disassociation from reality, a hysteria. And what I'm realizing now is also they have a, a compulsion. Notice how you're hearing a lot of stuff about how Kavanaugh is bad, but he's really bad because of Trump. And not only is Kavanaugh bad because of Trump, he's bad because Trump may need Kavanaugh because of the Russia collusion investigation to save him from criminal jeopardy. Everything somehow on the political left turns into a, a screed about Donald Trump. Everything on the political left is somehow tied to the notion that Donald Trump is the worst human being ever. He's, com- he's broken so many. They really take the position that Trump has broken so many laws that they can't even name one because they're overwhelmed by all the laws. It's really the most intellectually dishonest framing of an issue I've I've ever seen. Uh, I could I could ever imagine. But this is where we are now. Uh, This is, in fact, what we see from them. Here's a guy named uh, Varad Mehta. He writes what Kavanaugh's addition to the Supreme Court would mean for environmental law is that all the fantasy climate change suits the Enviroloons are pushing like the children's entrustment suit, will die if they ever make it to SCOTUS. Yeah, that's right. You see, liberals were able to get away with a lot of their fantasy land nonsense for a long time, and now they realize that, you know, the gravy train is coming to an end. You might actually have to get the American people to agree with you uh, and and you might have to get things passed through the legislature, and then, oh, by the way, they can be changed when things go bad. See, one of the things that, that I think often gets overlooked here, very, very important, is that for liberals, Supreme Court uh, judgments that go their way are better than laws. They're better than laws because laws can be repealed. Laws can be easily overturned, right? They're... they're they have not yet made the argument, well, not openly at least, but the, the left has not yet made the argument that, well, what one Congress does, another Congress cannot undo. Uh, but they do make the argument that what the Supreme Court gives the left once can never be taken away. So they view this like whenever they get a, a by judicial fiat from the Supreme Court, whenever the progressives, the Democrat Party has some you know, major win, they can they can count on that. That's in the bank for them forever. That moves the political and cultural trajectory of the United States in their direction irrevocably. So it's not only, and this really came to me last night, it's not only that they can't get some of these things, that they wouldn't be able to get nationwide abortion, nationwide same-sex marriage, nationwide... You know, a lot of this stuff has been or, you know, pretending affirmative action is constitutional. All of these things that are that are national level, top down policy from the Supreme Court. It's not just that they don't have to go through the legislature, which they are very happy about. It's that on top of that. 
they feel like it is always and forever going to be that way. Clearly, that's the case with Roe v. Wade. I mean, the way that the American left speaks about Roe v. Wade right now is with a great deal more reverence than they speak about the actual Constitution of the United States. Because you're seeing a lot of, oh, gosh, should we really have lifetime appointments for Supreme Court justices? Oh, gosh, you know, did people really know stuff in 1776 uh, that, that should affect us today? You know, they they will question. And, and I am, you know, I'm not exaggerating. This is this is true. Liberals will question the importance and the wisdom of the Supreme Court, I mean, of the uh, Constitution. But Roe v. Wade is sacred. Roe v. Wade is the closest thing the left has to a sacred text. And the fact that it has led to a demonic outcome that has killed millions and millions and millions of tiny babies is a truth that I don't think that the progressive left can ever allow itself to face up to. Another part of this as well. It's not just that they think that their Supreme Court handed down victories are forever. There's also that part in the back of liberals' minds that tells them whether they benefited from affirmative action and they know it, or they chose to have an abortion and they know it, uh, or you know, any number of things that are that could in fact be that could in fact be reversed by a court with Kavanaugh on it. I think it's hard for some liberals to think of a future in which they don't have the ability to point at the Supreme Court and say, they told me it's okay. They told me it's just. They tell me still to this day that I have a right to do it. I have a right to do what I did. Without that cover, without that veneer of, you know, nine, really five most of the time, although in the case of Roe, seven, judges wearing robes, pretending that what millions of Americans have done or have benefited from is right and ethical and moral. I think many people are going to have some, let's just say, self-doubt going forward. There is a massive psychological component to the Supreme Court and its decisions for the liberal left. I, I, I have a code that I live by. You do, you, you do as well. I don't really care what the Supreme Court says, except as it affects policy. But for a lot of the left, and particularly on the issue of abortion, they look to the Supreme Court as the ultimate sanction for their behavior. And if that were to go away, not only would it affect future behavior, I think it would affect the way people look at their own actions in the past. And that would be a very difficult thing for millions of our fellow Americans to handle. We've got to hit a quick break here. i got more on this Kavanaugh opposition, which is insane, so stay with me. I'm a coffee drinker. It's honestly something I need to get through my day, but I don't want you to ever have the feeling that you need to spit out some weak sauce commie blend you should be drinking the good stuff. Have the taste of freedom in your mouth, my friends, via Black Rifle Coffee. They're not a bunch of left-leaning hipsters that pretend to care so much about their French roast. No, no, my friends. 
Black Rifle is the coffee for you. I drink it every day. I like their Freedom Blend. I like the K-Cups. You can get decaf, too, if you want. And also, when you go to the site, you'll see they've got great gear, great T-shirts. Check out Black Rifle for yourself. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. I introduced Joe Concha, by the way, to it today, and he loves it. He's got to actually probably bring it up. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off your whole order. There are many messages, and it'll... and. Kavanaugh's danger will resonate with many groups. Women's freedom, health freedom, and health care would resonate. And because Kavanaugh is so extreme on the issue of presidential power at a time when we have a president who's overreached more than any president in history, the third one resonates too. I wonder if Chuck Schumer ever gets tired of lying. I don't mean that he would ever stop lying, but I mean if he actually gets fatigued by the mental process of telling so many lies, of making so much stuff up. First of all, how is Trump, just with that last part of what he said, someone tell me how Trump has overreached more than any president in history. Uh, Is Trump putting people in internment camps the way that FDR did? No, didn't happen. Is he locking up his political opponents, including journalists, the way that Woodrow Wilson did? No. No, no. I mean, we we don't even have to go earlier than the 20th century to find presidents who were overreaching in ways that are just not even the same stratosphere, not not even in the same super cluster as what Trump is doing. Because Trump isn't doing anything wrong. What is the overreach? The Supreme Court... Just came out and said, yeah, his travel ban, totally fine. So how is it overreach? Where is the overreach? Isn't it quite a, an, an incredible twisting of logic, reality, and the law when enforcing immigration law, for example, is considered to be overreach? When enforcing immigration law is radical? I thought the law was something that we were all bound by, and it had meaning, and it was something that we were supposed to support. I thought that the, the law was actually a necessary component of a free society. But they're so desperate with this Kavanaugh situation. They really are. They're embarrassing themselves. And, and this is not like anything else that we've seen on the, on the legal front, for sure. This is not like anything else that I uh, can point to and, and say there, there have been similarities here before. Um, you know, this is, oh, this is great, by the way. So Emily Peck, this is a perfect example. I mean, the self ownage that you're getting from journalists to borrow a term from the left here when they, when they own themselves, so to speak, uh, is unparalleled with anything else I can think of. Emily Peck, who is a journalist for, I think slate, but I I don't know who cares, but she's somebody who wrote, uh, she, she has one headline here from 2018 Playing up Brett Kavanaugh as a good dad to girls is shameless, 
Subheading, Trump's Supreme Court pick will likely play a key role in gutting reproductive rights no matter how many girls' basketball games he coaches. And then with Obama in 2017, a year and change ago, the same author writes, men really do get less sexist when they have daughters. A new study offers the most compelling evidence yet of the daughter effect. And who is the big photo of with his daughter? Barack Hussein Obama. Now, do we think that Emily Peck, who I've never heard of before and is clearly a hack, do we think that she doesn't care that we can Google this? Does she think that it, it, it does it not matter that she has no, uh, you know, a- absolutely no honesty in her writing and her thinking and her reporting? I, I just want to know. I'm just wondering. But we're seeing so much of this. Uh, I don't know. Do, do we have the Colbert soundbite? Uh, if you guys could grab it. I mean, it, you know what? It's not even worth it's not even worth grabbing. Forget it. Colbert on his show said, I don't know much about Kavanaugh, but his first name sounds more like a waiter at Ruby Tuesday. Is that is that the best they can do? Is that supposed to be a joke? His name is Brett. And. Colbert is making fun of the name Brett. I mean, if his name was Buck, I could understand. His name is Brett. Is 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 the name Stephen funny? I know you're probably sitting there scratching your head. Like, are they, are they such complete idiots? Are they really incapable of understanding how foolish they sound? Um, I, I don't. I don't have. I don't really have all the answers here anymore. This is. We are in unexpected unexplored and inexplicable territory. Uh, and and I just think that the, the opposition to Kavanaugh is a level of hysteria and lunacy that is, is troubling no matter what happens here. Because they're not even trying to make good faith arguments. They're not, they're not even trying to convince us that they have anything to say about this that's worthwhile. They're just completely off the rails. And I just wonder, you know, what it is going to take for them to understand that they're, we will remember this. We will remember this. Um, ah, man, I, I, I don't know. We're in a, we're in kind of a crazy place right now. We really are. This is, this, this opposition to Kavanaugh that's coming from people because there's nothing they can sink their teeth into. You know, I I was a Barrett person originally. I was somebody who was like, you know what? Barrett is a great pick, and I really like it. But now I'm thinking it's actually better that it's Kavanaugh because he's so squeaky clean, he's so smart, and so perfect for the court, and they they will say anything about him anyway. And what is this? In an unusual move, Rosenstein asks federal prosecutors to review Kavanaugh documents. I just saw this break. Hold on a second. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein has asked prosecutors to help the Department of Justice review Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh's government documents, according to a report in the New York Times that notes the request is an unusual injection of politics into the law enforcement duties of the department. Rosenstein made the request in an email sent to the nation's 93 U.S. attorneys. In it, 
Rosenstein asks each office to provide up to three federal prosecutors who can make this important project a priority for the next several weeks. Huh. Asking U.S. attorneys to do this is indeed seen as unusual. Um, guys, I don't trust Rosenstein at all. I, th- I, think, there's, I think there's a big problem here. Uh, I've thought that for quite a while. But this this stuff you're seeing, the unhinged nature of the opposition to Kavanaugh. I mean, they're they're upset because somebody wrote a piece about how Kavanaugh is a nice carpool dad and a nice guy. And, you know, <laughs> we, we can see they do this all the time. They do this all the time for different. But when a, when it's for a liberal justice, it's fine. Uh, CBS News writing here. Friends like former law clerk Allison Barkoff say that Sotomayor has a big, engaging New York personality. Yeah, she's fun. She works hard and plays hard, Barkoff said. Melissa Murray clerked for two federal judges, including Sotomayor. And when both judges came to Melissa's wedding, Sotomayor challenged the other judges to a dance off. Ha ha ha. Look, I'm fine with these pieces that talk about the human being that's going to be sitting on the Supreme Court. I get it, right? That's that's okay. But I'm not fine with people freaking out because Kavanaugh is being treated like a human being, too. Uh, we have we have a problem. We have a a, a country where a, a good 25 percent or so, about a quarter of this nation has completely lost its mind. And they watch MSNBC and they think CNN is honest news and they believe that. Their standards aren't constantly shifting with the wind somehow. I, I, I don't know what else to say. The opposition to Kavanaugh, though, is truly and utterly insane. It is, it is insane. And it's just, we're not even in the, in the hearings phase yet, right? Uh, we're not even in the hearings phase. This is just going to get nuttier and nuttier as we go forward. So we'll see. And yeah, the truth is, at the end of the day, they just, they got nowhere to go with this Kavanaugh hate. He's too good. He's too good for the left, but they'll be lucky enough to live in a country where he sits on the Supreme Court. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I've been telling you all for a while that Elite universities in this country are overrated, wildly overrated, that they don't represent what they pretend to, that they're churning out a lot of self-entitled babies who aren't nearly as smart as they think they are. And look, I mean, for those of you, I've gotten a few of you sent emails like, well, Buck, what Amherst is considered the number one or number two best liberal arts college in the country. It's where I went. And everything that I'm saying about these other schools is applicable to Amherst as well. Okay, so I'm not like picking on other. This isn't a rivalry thing, although with Cornell and Brown, I do have special ire. But the, in general, and the U.S. News and World Report study I cited, that's about colleges, not universities, right? So generally, in the U.S. News and World Report, the number one university is uh, Harvard, number two is you know MIT, three is Yale, something like that. And then with colleges, it's usually Amherst, Williams, Haverford. I'm here to tell you all those rankings and and this this obsession with academic elitism is really turning into a joke. These schools are turning out are, are churning out a lot of people who are not very smart, not very impressive, haven't learned very much. What they have 
is some means of via the system getting into these places which are overwhelmingly not hard to stay in and are not training people for the real world and this is a problem and they're the indoctrination that goes on i mean the ideological uh polarization that's occurring and on the most elite campuses in the country is is bad news folks because because all these little social justice warriors that are you know coming out of stanford and duke and harvard and yale and all these places now uh, they are going to use that credential to try and be in a position in a matter of you know decades maybe just a matter of years where they're telling you what to do with your life and trying to tell the rest of us they know better because they went to whatever right although you know you want to know why people get into schools these days they get into school because of legacy admission. That's true. That's a real thing. Although if you look at, and this is what no one ever likes to talk about. I know the admission thing backwards and forwards, so people rarely like to debate it with me. But if they ever want to give it a shot, uh, legacy admissions are uh, generally within the realm, within the, uh, the realm of, of all, or within the average of all uh, admitted students. Meaning that you, generally not, you don't have people that get in on legacy who have much lower SATs or much lower grades. They're in the same range, and the legacy thing is what puts them above. Uh, that is not true of two other categories, diversity and athletics. Uh, with diversity, I mean, with the athletics thing, depending on the school, you can get people that are way below the academic average who are, especially for the big sports, so football, basketball, uh, some schools, ice hockey, you know, but way below the academic average they get in because of they're an athletic admit. And in fact, some places that aren't even D1 schools have spots set aside and the coach basically gets to pick people and just bring them in as long as they have bare minimum requirements. And then with diversity, where when you look at, and this is why Harvard's so up in arms right now and they don't want to share their internal information because what you'll see is that preferred minorities are way below the average on SATs and grades for the rest of their class. And the preferred minorities are basically everybody who is not white or Asian or kind of Eastern European or Middle Eastern or uh, or South Asian, you know, so East Asian, South Asian, not preferred. Um, it's if you are uh, Native American, Hispanic, African-American, you know, Latino, Pacific Islander uh, or just an international student, you although it's different for international students with the SATs, but those are the spe- those are the special admits. And so people are getting in for reasons that have nothing to do with being so hardworking, being so smart. There's just all this different stuff that goes into it. Okay, I'm telling you all this because I think it's necessary to background to understand how Yale Law School could have an open letter from tons of its. I mean, Yale Law School is very, very small. It's it's in the it's it's like a couple of hundred, a few hundred a class. So this isn't even just the undergrad. This is Yale Law School which is where Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court nominee, went to school. And it is considered the most elite law school in the country. And here we have Yale Law School students who have written an open letter uh, regarding Brett Kavanaugh. I want to read this to you so that you understand just what we're up against because all these kids and these alumni from Yale law are going to say, look at me. I went to Yale law school. I'm so smart. I'm so smart. A lot of them are uh, not nearly as intellectually as impressive as they think they are. Many of them aren't impressive at all. And 
they have a serious case of Trump derangement syndrome going on here. I'm going to read you. This is not in. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it'll take the entire segment, take the entire hour practically. But I'll read you some very important segments from this just to show you that apparently they don't teach the law at Yale Law, really, or they don't teach uh, critical reasoning and sound thinking. That's for sure. Here's what they write to Dean Gherkin and the Yale Law School leadership. We write today, blah, 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 about Judge Kavanaugh's intellect, influence, and mentorship of students. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh's nomination presents an emergency for democratic life, for our safety, and freedom for the future of our country. His nomination is not an interesting intellectual exercise to be debated among classmates and scholars in seminar. Support for Kavanaugh is not apolitical. It is a political choice about the meaning of the Constitution and our vision of democracy, a choice with real consequences for real people. Without a doubt, Judge Kavanaugh is a threat to the most vulnerable. He is a threat to many of us, despite the privilege bestowed by our education simply because of who we are. Let me just stop for a second there. Kavanaugh is a threat to them? Are these people children? These are law students. They're at least in their mid to late 20s, right? The most elite law school in the country. He's a threat to them? This is what they write. These are the people, by the way, that, you know, they're in the next Democrat administration. They're going to say, well, so-and-so went to Yale Law School, and you're supposed to say, oh, wow, they must be really smart. They're just not. They're just not. Uh, Let me go with a little bit more here. Judge Kavanaugh would act as a rubber stamp for President Trump's fraud and abuse. Despite working with independent counsel Ken Starr to prosecute Bill Clinton, Kavanaugh has called upon Congress to exempt sitting presidents from civil suits. He has also noted a serious constitutional question exists regarding whether a president can be criminally indicted. This reversal does not reflect high-minded consideration, but rather naked partisanship. At a time when the president and his associates are under investigation for various crimes, blah, blah. This is all the same thing. Whew, folks. These these kids are a bunch of these kids are a bunch of clowns and these the, this alumni and this is what I've been telling you though it's very important what you see at the undergrad level on these campuses where they're all you know whose streets are streets Antifa you know all that stuff what you see happening on these college campuses has now extended into the law schools too the law schools have become little laboratories of progressivism as well and if you want to get good grades if you want to get Uh, certain kinds of jobs, you know, elite positions. You need to be in good standing with that law school community, which means you need to talk the talk about diversity and about social justice and all this stuff. These are these are all really increasingly becoming code words for power in the hands of the left, the eradication of actual merit and excellence and its replacement with rule by the mob. Oclocracy rule by, you know, the rabble on the street, whoever happens to have power at any given moment. They close this this letter, uh, which is full of just sheer idiocy. Kavanaugh is the gold standard, folks. This is what this is why it's so important. You look at this. There, there's no high minded arguments to be made here. There's nothing that they can say that will change this. Kavanaugh is the gold standard of what you can get as uh, as a Supreme Court justice. And anything to the contrary, anything else that they're saying is complete and utter nonsense. OK, Kavanaugh was actually hired by Justice Kagan, who sits on the Supreme Court, okay? 
This is a quote from the Boston Globe. When Elena Kagan was dean of Harvard Law School, she was in search of rising conservative legal stars. Their traditionally liberal campus could use a little ideological diversity, she thought, with more robust debate and the challenge of different viewpoints. Among Kagan's hires as a visiting professor was a newly appointed federal appeals court judge from Washington named Brett Kavanaugh. Not only did Kavanaugh go to Yale undergrad and Yale Law School, not only did he clerk for Justice Kennedy, whom he is replacing, but a sitting leftist Supreme Court justice, Elena Kagan, hired him specifically because of his intellect, his pedigree, his honesty. This is a slam dunk. This is a slam dunk. And, and all you see are liberals saying, there's no, there's no hoop, there's no net. Oh, no, I just saw him dunk, guys. Nope, there's no hoop. There's no net. They are denying the obvious reality. It is pathetic, but it's also scary. Because what you see in this Yale Law open letter about how Kavanaugh is a threat to them. Uh, that, that is their verbiage. That's their word. A threat to them. What you see is the truth of the modern progressive position, which is not that conservatism and constitutionalism are an alternative viewpoint or even just a different way of thinking. It is increasingly clear, and I really want you to listen to this, and I want you to remember it because it is critical. It's critical for the future of this country. It's critical for your own debates with people on this issue, and it's critical also to keep you safe on the streets these days, depending on what parts of the country you are in. Progressivism has seeped into this other realm where they no longer oppose you on the battlefield of ideas, but they seek to make your ideas unacceptable entirely in the public square. And the way they do that is by saying that you are, in fact, a threat, that your ideas are tantamount to violence. And you know how I break this down and how I reason through this. What is a legitimate response to something that people believe is effectively the same thing as violence? You know the answer. It is violence. That's where we are heading if they don't stop. If someone does not wake them up, if they do not get a dose of reality, calm down, stop lying, stop the hyperbole, Stop the psychosis about Trump and fascism and all of this. We are heading for a very dangerous place that the most elite law school in the country could have so many students produce such a buffoonish, childish and stupid letter. Is a very disconcerting sign of where we are heading. And I think we would be remiss if we did not pay some uh, did not pay much closer attention to what's going on with this. I mean, this Folks, this could be a very big problem. I'm telling you, I have never been going on radio before saying this, but this is going to get ugly. This is going to spiral out of control. They cannot be reasoned with anymore. They don't want to convince you. They don't even just want to mock you. They are trying to seize the moral high ground by telling each other, by brainwashing each other into thinking your ideas are a threat to them. What do people do in response to a threat? Generally not write a strongly worded letter or tweet. We've got a lot more. Stay with me. 
it does appear that Lisa Page apparently has something to hide. Uh, she has been in complete defiance of cooperation with the House Judiciary Committee and the Oversight and Government Reform Committee for seven months now. There have been two subsequent letters and two subpoenas issued for her appearance, and she has defied all of that. This subpoena yeah. is, is still in effect. Uh, I think it's very important for her to understand that, and she should comply with it, and she should comply with it now before she's held in contempt of Congress, which could happen as soon as Friday. You know, you'd think a former FBI agent, or current, I'm sorry, current FBI agent, you'd think that maybe she would understand that, that a subpoena is not a suggestion. A, a subpoena is not something that you get to just say, you know what, I don't feel like doing that today. And yet we see once again this double set of laws here where on the one side, if you were to not go along with the subpoena, if, if you were to skip and just decide that you know you didn't really care about something like this, you would probably have a warrant out for your arrest. But... Here you go with anti-Trump FBI lawyer Lisa Page deciding she can defy a congressional subpoena because, you know, she hasn't had the time to review the documents. H how hard is this? She's an FBI lawyer, folks. What, what, what does she think they're going to ask her? She's stalling. She is trying to find a way out of this. And, and yeah, you know, I don't like when people play the game about, you know, oh, well, they're pleading the fifth. They might have they have something to hide. Uh, OK. In this case, it does sort of feel like she has something to hide because she's not even... It, 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 why can't she show up and plead the fifth? She won't do that. Probably because she knows how bad that would look, but... So instead of doing that, she's claiming that she needs more time to uh, look over these documents. She, she refused to attend the House Judiciary and Oversight Committee uh, hearing today. And she's got until Friday or she'll be held in contempt. Look, they... The FBI has tried so hard to cover for her. We've been seeing this time and again. They tried to cover for Page and Strzok, and I just have to keep throwing in there. Strzok was an FBI counterintelligence senior officer. That he would be writing the stuff that he wrote on his work device. I was an NYPD intelligence division specialist. Uh, it was essentially a civilian contractor working counterterrorism. I never would have been writing the kind of stuff this guy was writing on my work device. Everything is every, it's part of discovery. I'm working for a law enforcement organization. It's searchable. And people would say, well, oh, but, you know, he can't be that. They, Paige and Paige is a lawyer. All she does is look through this stuff. They can't be that stupid, Buck. Well, I see it. It's not stupidity. It's hubris. It's hubris, just like Hillary with the email. It's not that they forgot that they could get caught. It's that they assumed they would never get caught, and if they did, it wouldn't matter because they have a different set of rules. That is at the heart of so much of what we've seen with DOJ, with FBI, with this whole uh, effort, this deep state, police state effort to stop the Trump presidency, to undermine the Trump presidency once it was actually happening. And I think people have realized that this is just far too much, and we want answers and if they hold her in contempt I, I i think they can send the sergeant uh sergeant at arms of the congress I, I think there is a process where they can arrest her i say arrest her you know teach her a lesson she's had plenty of people arrested for a lot less i can promise you that
It's time the DOJ has to play by the rules, too. And the FBI. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back, everybody. As you know, I work for The Hill and uh, do this show called Rising, which you can see at hill.tv slash rising. We had a great panel day, a lot of fun. But we, we also have access to some fantastic reporters, some great commentary people, and a media reporter in particular comes to mind, the one and only Joe Concha, folks. Not only is he joining us here on the Buck Sexton Show, he is in studio in the D.C. Freedom Hut Swamp Studio, which is exciting. Joe, welcome. Is that what this place is called? The Freedom Hut Swamp Studio? Pretty much, yeah. To, wow. to, to differentiate it from the New York studio, which I tell people, the politics in New York are bad, mm-hmm. but at least everybody up there is kind of a capitalist. Whereas here, they're all just leeches off of the taxpayer. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about capitalism just for a moment, just, to, just an aside, guys. I, I come in today, and I'm dead tired. I came from New York. I come down to Washington, and I said, Buck, where's some good coffee around here? And you offered up the black rifle coffee company and it is incredible i'm gonna be awake for days now i tell you guys this i didn't tell him to say this i did give him the black rifle and now he's a now he's a a devotee if you will so much better than that commie coffee that they keep up it's the strongest clubber lang man this is some good stuff that's what i'm talking about so (laughs) so joe i I want you to uh, by the way clubber lang this also was not planned folks you will think it it is is the name of producer mike the ep of this radio show in new york his dog is named Clubber Lang. Wow. So or named for Clubber Lang. Movie Ted, right? Didn't the bear want to name himself uh, Ted Clubber Lang something, right? Yeah, he, he worked it in there. But- he, Joe actually knows more pop culture than I do. He's also ageless, folks, so I don't know. He could tell me he's 25 to 65. I have no idea how old Joe Concha is, so his pop culture references can come from anywhere. I don't know what I'm dealing with here. 1982 was Rocky Three, by the way. There you go. That's my talent. You could ask me any movie, and I'll tell you the year, as long as the movie's after 1980. Let's just do that once for your audience, and then we'll, we'll go. Just give me a movie. Give you a movie? Uh, oh, gosh, I love this game. All right. Yeah. Um, Predator. Predator was uh, obviously Schwarzenegger, and Apollo Creed was in that as well. Indeed. And Predator was 1986. Yes, you you <laughs> son of a gun. I cannot believe you pulled that off on the fly. People probably think I was Googling I thought that. I, I was no, I'm, guys, I'm here in studio watching him, and he had no Google in the hand. Wow, I'm impressed, actually. Thank right. you. It's scary. Because, you know, we do Action Movie Quote Friday on this show, where people call in and just quote an action movie to me, and I just name it on the fly. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm a 12th degree black belt in action movie quotes. Can we play funny. that once? Just give me a quote, and I'll see if I can name it. I hate you want to do that right now? Yeah, right now. Why not? Um, We're totally off on a tangent, so. Uh, okay. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, come out to the coast. Have a few laughs. Die Hard. It's obviously John McClane. Oh, it's the first oh, Die Hard. Oh, okay. Okay. Movie, Guys, we got another player in the mix here. This is going to be a recurring thing here. I'm going to bring Savor the Flavor because next time it's going to get a little tougher, buddy. But I, I do need you because you are Joe Concha of the the Hill. Yeah, and you, media. Uh, and you do the media stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Shannon Bream fan. I, I'm open about this. I think Shannon's one of the nicest people, period, and also one of the best broadcasters, period, and not just because she has me on her show sometimes. I thought that even before I'd ever even ever even uh, been on her show. I agree. But she was down at the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's one of these things. It's not controversial because everybody who knows anything says it. Uh, she was down at the Supreme Court, said she felt like it was 
unsafe for her. Volatile mood, and she felt threatened. She said, I've, I've never I've, I've felt threatened in the field uh, like this before. And this isn't like a Jim Acosta who likes to draw attention to herself. Like, ooh, I'm the victim. You know, or, or, or she, she rarely makes herself the story. She does a very good job on a show called Buck called Fox News at Night. I've been on it. It's at 11 o'clock, uh, and she, she acts like an anchor and doesn't inject her opinions into everything, which is refreshing. That's how things used to be. She asks questions, her guests give answers, and audiences can decide what, what they feel about those answers. And that it's, it's almost an antiquated model compared to everything uh, we see in broadcasting these days. And uh, she was actually mocked. I don't know if it was mocked. I don't know how I'd, quite a, how I'd put it, but after she said she felt threatened in front of the Supreme Court, Terry Moran of ABC News, a veteran who's been around for a while, said, you know, I didn't feel threatened. Everything, uh, yeah, there were some protesters there, but uh, I don't think that's really the way things were. It's like, wait a minute, man. A, she wouldn't have left unless she felt unless she felt threatened. And B, you don't say those things publicly, I don't think. And C, when you're the ABC News reporter. This is the biggest point, I think, by the way. Go right? ahead. It's I was building up to it. <laughs> you're the benign kind of unknown guy. I know it's broadcast, but things are different now. It's not like Fox. Fox to liberals is like what CNN is to conservatives. It's it's a polarizing network to a certain uh, part of the population. And of course, the Fox person, regardless of who it is, is going to get a lot of the grief while the ABC guy is going to be ignored because it's ABC. Yeah, well, you've seen this before. I, I think Geraldo, who probably goes out with neon signs wearing Fox on him because he likes it when the <laughs> crowd. Yeah, he likes it when the crowd's like, are you with Fox News? He's like, you want a piece? Geraldo was a boxer back in the day, by the way. I bet that's a, he can handle himself. He fought Frank Stallone on the Howard Stern show once. Is that for real? Uh, yeah, you could YouTube that sometime. It's it's bizarre. But uh, yeah, he's always in shape. I, when I see him at Fox, he actually bikes to work, which is kind of cool because I think he lives in Jersey. So that's pretty impressive. And he's 68, Geraldo. And he's he's out in, you know, riot, <laughs> riot situations. And basically, uh, yeah, he likes the confrontation. Yeah, he's like Bolton. He gets special powers from the mustache. Oh, jeez. Is that I true? Yeah, Bolton definitely does. You should grow a mustache. He he. Bolton rubs that mustache, and all of a sudden, foreign policy just changes. He's like Raleigh Fingers. That, that's kind of funny. See, there you go. Oh, uh, but since we're talking to, uh, media world and and uh, giving some much needed sanity or injecting some much needed sanity in the discussion, Jeffrey Tubin. I said yesterday on the show, just to to put the the proper context out there, that it feels like Jeffrey Tubin's brand is to say things that are obviously incorrect with so much confidence that people who don't know any better think he knows what he's talking about i think he's completely lost his marbles on the supreme court thing oh god like the things that he has written recently have been something something short of remarkable for a senior legal analyst for a major international network like cnn he actually went on the air and said, and I'm trying to find the quote here, of course, my phone is frozen, so I'll just have to paraphrase this, unfortunately. But he said that gays will be barred from restaurants. African-Americans will be thrown out of elite schools. That uh, gun control will be banned in 50 states. Regulatory state, gone. He makes these arguments based on the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. And you are then to be so stupid to think that the other four conservative judges on there, not that Kavanaugh would ever vote for any of these things, but that Gorsuch and Alito and Roberts, that they would vote also to do all these things. Ban gays from restaurants? And no one no one checks him on that network. That's what kills me. He says it, and they just shake their heads like you're at bobblehead night at Nationals Park. Where's the nasty Jake Tapper tweet? Mr. Facts first all the time. <laughs> oh, <no>. Where's the <laughs> Jake Tapper tweet on this one, folks? It's just all about the, the going down the line. I, I'm, I'm just asking questions. 
I'm just asking He's questions. He's a journalist, and uh, he should be fact-checking his own people you as would, well. You would think. Big J journalist, too. Oh, gosh, must be hard. I would note that Tubin also made the argument, which I mocked and enjoyed doing so yesterday, that the founders thought everybody was going to die in their 50s. And you look at the founders, uh, Jefferson, Franklin, Adams, they last pretty much into their 80s. Adams lived to 90. Yeah. Which is impressive. I mean, we're talking like an average of about 80-something, though. Yeah. Okay? I got so the quote. I, he said, when the Constitution was written in the late 18th century, people were expected to die in their 50s. The framers, because he can get to the framers' heads, the framers never contemplated that these terms would regularly go 30-plus years as they do now. In other words, in lifetime terms, which Tubin made that exact argument when President Obama had two Supreme Court nominees. Oh, that's right. He didn't make that argument. And that's what mm -hmm. people see. It's selective outrage and suddenly coming up with excuses as to why Supreme Court justices shouldn't have lifetime lifetime terms uh, because of the guy who's appointing them, not because he's actually concerned about them being there for 30 years, which uh, back way back when they could have been. Mainstream media hysteria now, Joe, is worse than or not as bad as the height of the Russia collusion hysteria. It's worse. You think it's worse now? Yeah. Because there's no accountability for when you say reckless things, irresponsible things, push conspiracy theories, all those things. No one gets fact-checked because everybody's loving the ratings too much. Even though I don't know how, I see how you make that case with CNN because they are down from May of 2017 to May of 2018, 25% total viewers. One in four, gone. And it hasn't exactly been a slow news cycle, Buck. Ooh, right? so sad How for do you CNN. lose viewers in this news cycle? It's impossible unless people are saying... This is nuts. This is not the CNN that I grew up with. CNN's the reason why I got into journalism. Yeah. Their, their, their coverage of the first Gulf War was incredible. People ask me why I would go work for CNN. I also had the perception as somebody who really was a Fox and MS watcher. I thought of MS as kind of the opposition and Fox as home team. I was like, well, CNN, before I worked there, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the down the middle. And then having been there and now seeing, no, it is not. That is, a, that is a complete falsehood. It's just MSNBC with less honesty. It's now uh, A&M, by the way. Avenatti News Network. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Got to have him on, by the way. I've heard some interesting things. Uh, you are a worthy adversary in the action movie quotes. Thank we're, you. We're going to have you back sometime, and we're going to set this up so that callers can come into both of us, and it'll be like Jeopardy style. Who can get the action movie quote on the fly? And people, don't insult my intelligence with, like, get to the chapa and anything like that, all right? Look it, at this. Give me something challenging. Concha. If you don't already, you follow him on Twitter, you should. What's the, what's the handle? God. Joe, I had to think about it. Joe Concha TV. Joe Concha TV. Give me Check. real followers. Check it out, everybody. Thanks so much. We've got so much more coming. We'll be back right after this break. Boom. Strike Force Energy, veteran-owned, American-made, and one of the hottest new energy products on the market. Strike Force Energy was developed by veterans for one simple reason: the fight will always follow you, and it waits for no one. Buck Sexton here for Strike Force. Strike Force and I invite you this summer to join us in giving back to America's troops. You know, Strike Force for three years now has shipped millions of packets to our troops, both at home and abroad, and now we're bringing this proven battlefield liquid directly to your door. It has zero calories, zero sugar, made with only the finest ingredients. Fuel for you through your toughest fights, my friend. Simply add Strike Force to water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice-cold beer. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout, and for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. Again, StrikeForceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK. Strikeforce Energy is fuel for the fight. How does the administration fight the optics on this? Because policy-wise and practice-wise, they're back to catch and release. But do pictures like Rosa just showed us 
of this little boy being reunited with his father after 43 days. Will those haunt this administration? Well, I, I think the, 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 the pictures of the cruelty of this administration are a very deliberate part of this. They're, they're a feature, not a bug, of the, of the Trump administration's policy. And so I think that we're in a situation where, where no one uh, inside the administration is unhappy about these things because they're only talking to their base. They're only talking to their core supporters. And their core supporters you know, want anybody who's darker than a latte deported. Come on. You know, it's just, it's just not helpful, right? It's not true. It's not helpful. It's the, the, the slanders against Trump supporters. It gets so, ugh, it's just so frustrating at this point. And, you know, they, they put somebody like that on CNN. I mean, he's calling 60 plus million people racists, racist. That's, you know, that's Rick Wilson. I, I worked with Rick on different TV shows years ago, you know, he was a guest. I mean, we weren't, I've never met him in person. I don't know him, but you know, I've done, he used to be a pretty standard issue GOP guy, well-spoken, had some, had some insightful things to say. And now he goes on TV and threatens to, you know, he's going to gut a Trump supporter like a fish on air. I mean, you know, he meant that metaphorically, uh, but you know, he, he's talking about how anybody darker than a latte, they, I mean, just, First of all, these are lines that he's writing. I can tell you this, and and a lot of the the CNN cons- the CNN Republican Trump bashers, they're writing out these lines before they go on TV. Uh, they know they're going to get picked up by media, and I guess they know people like me are going to sit here and say, "Well, you know, so and so said this thing," but they can't be serious about thinking that this is helpful to anything or anyone other than themselves. I really am at a point now where I think that people in the media who just refer to Trump supporters as racist in in some way, whether very racist or a little racist, they're either just very selfish or very dumb. Uh, I I think for some of the more clever ones, it's a selfishness issue. They realize that this is a way to get on TV. And for the other ones, it's just stupid because without counties that went for obama without states that went for obama twice trump doesn't win the election so can someone explain to me how how racism is the prime factor in trump's election when the way that trump beats hillary clinton is to have former obama voters that are like you know what the democrats just don't do a good job isn't that possible folks you know isn't it fair to just take a step back and say where do the democrats just run everything I mean, where do the Democrats have complete and total sway? Okay, let's look at some cities, shall we? Baltimore, disaster. Detroit, disaster. Increasingly, the state of California, disaster. Right? You start to look at places that are unipolar, Democrat-controlled, deep blue areas of the country, whether it's a city or a state, and you just have bad governance. You know, people say, oh, Buck, but what about a, you know, there's like a state like Massachusetts? No, there's enough there's enough Republicans in Massachusetts that you actually still have, you know, some hope of the Democrats having to behave themselves. Right. You have you're, there's enough there to push back when you look at a true, pure Democrat political machine in this country. You find yourself looking at a place that is generally very poorly run and poorly governed. Isn't it just possible 
that after eight years of the Obama administration, the American people, or at least a large portion of the American people, felt like these folks, meaning the Democrats and their allies and the, and the media that were telling us, I mean, the media was telling us everything was so great when Obama was in office. Obama's economic, quote, recovery was the slowest and most anemic recovery since the Great Depression. The economy dragged along for years. People lost years of productivity, years of advancement in their careers because Obama's idea was let's spend a whole lot of money on things that Democrats like and let's also put a ton of regulations and a lot of state burdens on people and on businesses that are trying to be productive because that's fair. And fair is in the context of the Democrat Party just a way of saying Whatever my whims may be at the moment, whatever my emotions tell me, that's what's fair, right? Fair is a feeling. Fair isn't an argument. There's an important difference there. And that's when you get into, you know, all this talk about pay your fair share. You can remember all this. You can, you know, you can remember what it was like with the Obama years. Remember, they were trying to tell us, folks, that very slow to know GDP and economic growth was that was the only way it was going to be for the future. You know, we were we were told to get used to lackluster results for the American economy as an excuse for eight years of Obama. And instead of dealing with that reality and looking at what's going on with Trump, who is pro business, pro commerce, pro the American worker in a way that's not just rhetorical. right? It's not just, oh, I'm pro unions or I'm pro teachers unions. Right. Pro the guy or gal who shows up to do a job, is doing things the way they're supposed to be done, wants to elevate himself, herself, or their family, and doesn't want to feel like the thumb of government is constantly pushing down on them. And they also don't want to be a ward of the state. They don't, you know, they don't want Obama phones. They don't want uh, handouts from the government, right? They don't want any of that. They just don't want the government in the way. It's an important philosophical difference, and we're seeing what it means with Trump. We're seeing how that actually can play out for the American people. But instead, you get you know jokes about how uh, you know the, all the Trump supporters are just so racist, bunch, just a bunch of racist, toothless hillbillies who don't know anything, playing banjo with their toes. Ha ha ha! You know, it's just terrible, folks. It really is, and. You know, some of these people, I understand, look, everyone's, you know, everyone's got to pay the rent or the mortgage. People got to eat. And I know that a lot of this stuff you see on uh, the various non-Fox cable networks is just performance art, right? It's just theater for people that are formerly all about limited government and formerly all about, uh, you know, doing what is best for the American economy. And getting government out of the way. Now now all they're about is trashing Trump. And it's tiresome. It's unhelpful. And I mean I just think it's it's stupid, lazy, and selfish. And I, I'm just getting sick of it. You know, At least come up with some ideas. Or, or go the Max Boot route. Who is still chironed by media as a conservative. Who's like I'm going to vote for a Democrat. I want the Democrats to win. Well that's quite a conservative they like to put on TV over at CNN. Uh, we got much more team. Uh, I, I got to tell you about this this movie that's coming out that I might have to. I actually might have to boycott. I'll tell you why. Stay with me. Years ago, I would have told you that I thought that uh, Borat 
the character played by Sasha Baron Cohen was was a pretty pretty funny thing, you know. And 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 you had frat boys across America were all going, strong on plow and all that stuff, right? We all and, and in fact it became such a cultural phenomenon for a short period of time that to do Borat accents was passe. I'm one of the few people who's ever noticed, by the way, that Borat, as a Kazakh from Kazakhstan, clearly had to be Muslim, but that was somehow never mentioned and never brought up, and it just flew under the radar, because I'm sure otherwise people would have made fun of the incredible amounts of misogyny by the character, ignorance, anti-Jewish stuff going on, right? But, But because he was just from Kazakhstan... A Muslim country, but people didn't really make that connection. He was able to to, uh, to get away with all this stuff, which is pretty am- amazing in retrospect. I don't know if he'd be able to do quite the same thing today, but he's trying to. Uh, we we have this this news story. It's all over the place now. It's Hollywood Reporter. I think it's the New York Post. It's it's getting a lot of, a lot of play. Where you have Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, who's the guy who plays Borat. He also does Ali G and a few other characters. I used to watch the HBO show way back in the day where he did all these different characters. And he is doing the same thing that he's done before with Borat. He's doing these kind of ambush interviews. And the movie is called Who is America? But here's the problem. And and I am not overly sensitive. I'm not somebody who goes, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't pull the snowflake stuff. But there are limits. You know, you, 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 there are certain places you, you just don't go. You don't make Holocaust jokes. You don't ever in any way put down or mock or deride somebody with, with Down syndrome. I mean, there are red lines. Right? There are red lines for me. There are red lines for any decent person. And I think a red line for all of us is you, not only do you not mess with veterans, you do not mess with disabled veterans. Uh, or you are in for a world of hurt. And I don't know if that's just metaphorical and this is the report now I, I don't you know this hasn't been all fully confirmed but the report says that sasha baron cohen or sasha cohen we'll just call him that now met with sarah palin and she flew across the country to meet with him he posed as a disabled veteran in a wheelchair and he got her to sign something i think he's also gotten he got dick cheney to sign a quote waterboarding kit but he posed a disabled veteran to Sarah Palin, and Sarah Palin uh, is furious about this now. And she has written the following. Out of respect for what I was led to believe would be a thoughtful discussion with someone who had served in uniform, I sat through a long interview full of Hollywoodisms, uh, disrespect, and sarcasm, but finally had enough and literally physically removed my mic and walked out, much to Cohen's chagrin. Uh, the disrespect of our U.S. military and middle-class Americans via Cohen's foreign commentaries under the guise of interview questions was perverse. Uh, if he really posed as a veteran, i got to tell you, this, this, I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be the end of this guy doing this kind of stuff. If he posed as a disabled vet in a wheelchair uh, for the purposes of this interview, I, I just think that that's, I do think that's crossing a red line. And, and, you know, it's a shame on so many levels. First of all, the biggest problem is the disrespect, but also comedy is such a an avenue for relief and actually for bringing people together. And I really mean this comedians in this country have abandoned their posts. They've become political hacks. They have become nasty and they become unfunny. And it's a real loss to our culture. And it looks like Sasha Cohen is 
a part of that problem. I know he's a Brit, but same idea. Anyway, I'll, I'll keep an eye on this story, and uh, we have Roll Call coming up. The show ain't over yet, folks. Here's where you take over. Keeping it real. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. It's that time for the funky Roll Call action, my friends. You know how we do it here in the hut. Let's get into it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. I'm just realizing today it has been a while since I have uh, managed to get into the official teambook at gmail.com inbox. So I will make sure the next time around we will get to that, which is going to be fun. First up here, we have Eric who writes, Hey, Buck, paraphrasing Rush Limbaugh on his show today. The left hysteria about Kavanaugh has nothing to do with Kavanaugh. It has to do with the fact that he will abide by the Constitution. They don't want the Supreme Court to be bound by the U.S. Constitution. They want judges who will ignore the Constitution and make decisions that enable the left to impose their will on us. Isn't that horrifying? The very thing that we love the U.S. Constitution for, that it protects us from bad people forcing bad policies on us, is what the Democrats hate about the Constitution. P.S. Love the Soros impression. Eric, shields high. Well, Eric, thank you very much for the note. Soros would like to send you a large crate of gold bars, unmarked, of course, so you can put it wherever you want. You can hide it from your government for when the end comes. We bring it all come crashing down. Uh, Adam, next up here. Personally, when it comes to Democrats, the momentum has shifted so far to the right that they may see no alternative. The old adage applies here. There is no worse enemy than one who has nothing left to lose. I don't know where the line is exactly, but I fear we are marching toward it. Shields high. You know, Adam, I agree, man. I, I This is going to get... If the Democrats lose this midterm election, meaning that they don't take control of the House or the Senate, right? If, if they don't pick up control of any of government, what do they tell themselves? H- how is it possible that their fellow Americans could not just elect Trump and let him lead the Republican Party, but then there could be an affirmation of that vote at the ballot box after two years of Trump at the head of the GOP. It's almost like Trump's doing a good job and the GOP is better at governing than the Democrats are. Oh my gosh, crazy. Who knew, right? Who knew? Matthew up here writes, great movie quote, ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while you shouldn't have messed with? That's me. Um, Matthew, I don't know what that movie is. I don't know what that is. So somebody else is going to have to tell me what that one is. Uh, we'll have to do a, a quick look upon that one. Brian writes, enjoy the show, Buck. Great Brexit segment. Please explain why liberals think Roe v. Wade is settled law, but the Second Amendment, which is specifically spelled out, is not. You know, Brian, I, I it's a completely valid question. It's an intelligent question, but there's a part of me that almost grows too tired. I, I grow weary of dealing with all the liberal hypocrisy when it comes to the Constitution and constitutional rights and uh, the 
the Bill of Rights and the various amendments, it's just they make it up as they go along. It's a different argument every day. There's no consistency. You know, it's, it's like you're wrestling with Jello all the time when you're talking about left wing jurisprudence. Ooh, wrestling with Jello sounds like fun. No, but really, it's something that I think is uh, it's tedious. It's becoming tedious. You know, on the one on the one hand, you've got I mean, I, I couldn't even believe this today. This was amazing. You have uh, an NBC reporter uh, named Katie Turr who who said and uh, MSNBC owned by NBC quote based on where Americans stand on the issues. Americans have really moved in a much more progressive direction over the years. Do you think it's appropriate to continue to take such a strict originalist view of the Constitution given it's 2018 and not 1776? And quote, because I end every sentence with a little bit of a raising my voice, because that like sounds really like I know what I'm talking about. Um, yes, Katie, we do think that the plain English language of the Constitution from 1776 that was just a compilation of ideas that led to the greatest, most prosperous nation, not just on the planet, but on the in the history of the planet. I think that that Constitution is still valid. I think that universal truths are still universal truths. I think that univer- you know, universal uh, natural law is still applicable today. I don't think we've like gotten beyond that because like just because like, but I mean, the founders didn't have like Twitter and stuff. So like, how could they know what amendments to write? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know, Katie. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I got it. I got ahead of myself there for a second. Okay, here we go. Back to roll call. Back to roll call, Sexton. Uh, here we go. Josh writes, hey, Buck, longtime listener, all the way back to just the Saturday show. Oh, Josh, we have a name for that. It is called OSS for Original Saturday Squad. Not sure if you covered it or not, but why can't Trump just apply the travel ban to countries south of the border. Any thoughts, Josh? Well, Josh, there would be massive economic ramifications of... I, I, I don't know if you're including Mexico in that or not. He could do it with Central America, Central American countries. And given the rapidly deteriorating situation in Nicaragua right now, uh, there's a case to be made that maybe that's not a terrible idea. But uh, if he banned Mexico... Under national security, or under his national security authority, I mean, the, the Democrats would completely lose their minds. You'd have massive protests in the streets. You'd pay a huge political cost. And also the economic cost would be very real. Look, we do a lot of trade with Mexico. OK, there, there's a lot of good things. I mean, I think this gets lost in this. There's so much good that happens as a result of cross border activity of all kinds. There's bad as well, but there's a lot of good, too. Right. And, you know, I, I want entrepreneurial Mexicans who can come into America and are going to work hard are going to do. But I also want entrepreneurial Canadians. I want entrepreneurial Botswanans. I want entrepreneurial Turks. You know, I just want the best of the best from everywhere. And I want them to come legally. But even in a day to day sense, in terms of the economic activity across the border, there's a lot of, you know, we're we're selling stuff to Mexico. Mexico's selling stuff to us. So we, we couldn't just do that. But I, I understand you're trying to think outside the box, and I appreciate it. Aries just writes, office space. Because, yes, Aries, you are correct. That was the movie reference that I made yesterday. 
Aries just he Aries just goes for the mic drop Facebook message. He's just like boom, office space. I'm not I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna at you. Just office space. Dawn uh writes, Hello. My husband listens to your show. He tells you that uh, tells us that he's OSS and was telling me how much you love dogs. Our dog Daisy was hit by a car a few weeks ago, and the vet bills have gone beyond what we af- what we can afford. We set up a GoFundMe page to raise money and hope you may be able to share it on your Facebook page. I understand that it's something you can't do, but any kind of exposure we could get would be helpful. You know what, Dawn? We will put this up in the uh, Freedom Hut because uh, there is a Team Bucks Freedom Hut page uh, with a lot of OSS folks, and and we will we'll see if we can get some get some help for Daisy. Looks like your adorable black lab. It is also the name of my brilliant and beautiful and wonderful recently married little sister. So I'm particularly partial to the name Daisy. Uh, but Dawn, you know, if, if I can ever help, I will. And don't ever hesitate to reach out and ask for help here in the Freedom Hut. William writes, Buck, been listening to you for a few months. I'm also a former IC member. I saw the headline you referenced. IC intelligence community, folks. I saw the headline you referenced earlier was the FBI bamboozled on Fox News only moments before, and I noticed something instantly. If this notion is being promoted by the FBI itself, it is clearly their attempt at an out from the treachery they committed and are being exposed for. To believe that the FBI was bamboozled by bad information is to completely disregard common sense and reality. Even a rank amateur would have recognized the lack of veracity in such intel reporting as the dossier... No one in the FBI is that gullible, and I say that as no fan of the FBI whatsoever. William, I will say this. I'm probably getting in trouble for this, but FBI agents, the guys carrying the guns, do do good work. God bless. Most of the FBI analysts that I dealt with were not the best in the intel community. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I will be charitable. Second tier. Maybe third tier within that community. I... Just, I call it like it is. Not this, I'm not talking about the special agents, I'm talking about the analysts. I was an analyst too. So, I'm, you know, analysts are allowed to make fun of other analysts, right? So, FBI analysts were not blowing my, blowing my socks off. Uh, where were we here? They may not have, they may have many faults, but being that incompetent in intelligence vetting is just not one of their faults. If they're trying to sell this line of crap that they were bamboozled, it's a cheap attempt to wash their dirty hands of the intentional subversion of a legitimate election. Kindness regards Will. Keep fighting the good fight. Will shields high. And thank you. And I agree with you. And good to have an IC brother writing in. One of my favorite things about this show, I get emails and messages from people downrange, military, special operations community. I get people from, from within the IC, let's say former, let's just say always former for our purposes, uh, within the IC reach out to me. And uh, yeah, it's it's just good to have that connectivity. And I, I I take a special pride in knowing that practitioners, people who know what it is to be involved in counterterrorism, be doing real national security work uh, and law enforcement, although I'm really a national security analyst, guys, I I, I kind of dabbled in law enforcement for a little while, but I'm really a national security analyst. Um, but that they listen to the show and respect this show means a tremendous amount to me. Dale. Uh. Mike Lee would have been a bad choice for SCOTUS. You lose a Senate vote on that, right, Dale? I mean, I don't think Mike Lee would be a bad choice for Senate. Look, Utah is pretty safe red. At least we don't have to worry about things going blue in Utah. That's nice. Uh, but Mike Lee would have been a very good choice. 
I think that, that actually would make sense. But thanks for sharing. Jen, great show and loving the live streams. What the left is doing is really getting scary. People attacking others in restaurants, people telling politicians they know where they live. Most of these people don't even know or care to learn what it is they are yelling about. Someone is going to get seriously hurt, and we will get blamed for it by the left. Sad times. But I have hope it will get better. With Trump, you, Rush, and others leading the way, I have faith we will make it out of the end and still have America. Uh, well, Jen, I hope, I hope that faith is correct. I have it, too. And I think we're all going to be all right. I'm, I'm positive. You know, I deal with problems here in the hut, but I'm positive in the long run. And I'm bullish on America. That's for sure. Please do uh, subscribe to the podcast of the show, folks. Also get ready for a Freedom Hut podcast this week. It will be out. We will have a special guest. That'll be out Thursday night. Uh, I have to go rush off to a Hill.TV event. So check out Hill.TV slash Rising tomorrow morning. Until next time, you know what's up. Shields high. Information is power, and you want the best, and you want the most powerful on your side when it comes to background investigations and vetting. That's where Global Verification Network comes in. If you are a property owner or if you're a business owner, you have to know what are you getting into, what are you getting involved with, or who are you getting involved with. You need somebody who can pull all of the relevant data and facts and present it to you in a way that lets you make the best business decisions possible. That's why you want Global Verification Network. They're the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company out there you can see for yourself they are headquartered in chicago these risk mitigation experts will work with companies of any size call 877-695-1179 that's 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com again that's mygvn.com global verification network leave no stone unturned